It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome to the Sports Objective Podcast. We have a huge show planned for you. East Carolina men's basketball will play its final home game of the year on Saturday afternoon as the Yukon Huskies will visit Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum in what will be a 2 o'clock tip-off on ESPNU. To get the scouting report on the Huskies, we will hear from UConn beat writer Dom Amore from the Hartford Current. The 2020 East Carolina football schedule was announced a week and a half ago, so we caught up with Director of Athletics John Gilbert to talk about that and a whole lot more. Last but certainly not least, General Manager of the Dirtbags, Trey Daly, joined us to talk travel baseball as the East Carolina roster is loaded with former dirtbags. Before we go to that interview with Dama More, here's a look back at what took place on Friday for ECU Athletics. The 17th ranked baseball Pirates suffered an 11-5 loss to Indiana in the first game for ECU in the Keith LeClaire Classic. Lane Hoover and Zach Agnos had two hits each for the Pirates in the loss. Now ECU will take on 13th-ranked Ole Miss after the Rebels open play in Greenville with a 6-2 win over High Point on Friday afternoon. First pitch on Saturday afternoon is scheduled for 4.30 against the Rebels. Courtney Oliver and the ECU softball team won two games on Friday at the Liberty Spring Classic. The Pirates beat Fairfield 4-3 in the day's first game before shutting out Yale 5-0 while in the process extending their win streak to six games. The Pirates played air-free softball in game one and that allowed them to win despite being out hit 10-5. Pepping and Woodall combined on the shutout against the Bulldogs in the day's second game. The Pirates will play a single game on Saturday against Butler before playing Hofstra and also host Liberty on Sunday. However, now let's preview the home finale for Pirate Hoops and hear from Dama Moore, the UConn men's basketball beat writer, from the Hartford Current. Now we're very excited to be joined by Dom Amore, the UConn men's basketball beat writer from the Hartford Current. Dom, welcome back to the show. Anytime, particularly if you're excited to have me. I don't get that much. Very excited, Dom, about the matchup again. Hard to believe uh, with uh, the year going by fast, but I understand you're coming to Greenville. Very excited to have you, and uh, maybe we can get you some barbecue or something down here for you to, to try out here in eastern North Carolina. I will be there. Last my last trip uh, in and out of Greenville, so uh, I'll try to soak in as much as I can, particularly in the barbecue area. No doubt about it. Let's talk about uh, UConn. Can you catch up, uh, fans, on so far with the season and your thoughts, like your analysis on UConn basketball? Well, it's been a fun season for them. It hasn't been as successful as they would have liked, wins and losses wise. But every game they've played has been uh, competitive and exciting and come down to the wire. You know, they've lost nine games by seven points or less and four of those in overtime, three in double overtime, and even the regulation losses were games where they had leads late. Uh, so they convert, they've played well enough to, to easily have 20 or 21 wins. Instead, they're 15 and 12. And they've played well. Uh, they, they've had a chance to beat every team in the conference. They you know, it would not surprise me if they're a team that everybody's looking at in the conference tournament as a threat no matter where they're seated. So it's been that kind of season for them. They're close, but not quite there yet. And now in the last couple of weeks or a few weeks, they've been hit with some injuries, uh, some major injuries that, that have depleted their roster. But they've continued to play hard and play down to the wire and, and play well. 
And, uh, you know, they've got some games that I'm sure they feel they can win uh, in these last four, and they've got to win them. Before we um, go any further, tell tell our listeners, um, if they may not be aware and follow it very closely, um, who who are those key injuries to? Yeah, uh, a cook, a cook, uh, who's a freshman 6'9 shot blocker. He was among the top shot blockers in the country and in the conference, and he tore his Achilles a couple of weeks ago. That was really a, a devastating loss for them because he was the rim protector uh, that they used to have in Amita Brima, and he allowed them to play uh, very good pressure defense. Now they have to back off a little bit because they're getting blown by a lot, and they don't have the rim protector back there. So that was a big deal. And the uh, North Carolina kid, or, you know, or I'm sorry, uh, not North Carolina kid, but Tyler Polly, uh, Florida kid, uh, who uh, tore his ACL a few weeks ago. Uh, and that kind of robbed them of their best three-point shooter and also a lengthy defender at the wing. So they're kind of playing without a four-man right now. They really, they're trying to mix and match. They're using two centers who are North Carolina kids, Josh Carlton, Isaiah Whaley. They're playing them both together, which makes them a, a little more physical, tougher rebounding team. But, uh, you know, quick wings are, give them a lot of trouble. Some of the things that you pointed out were um, exactly what I was going to mention regarding Dan Hurley's ball club. Um, a, se- a season ago, um, they were 16 and 17. This year, 15 and 12 with all those close losses, like you mentioned. Uh, I noticed they're 12 and 3 at home and uh, just 1 and 7 on the road after yeah, going 1 and one, one in, one in 8 on the road a, yeah. a year ago. Yeah, that's the problem. They have not been able to win road games. Uh, but they did break through, get a win at Tulsa, which they where they had never won. Uh, and they were really, they were very close down to the wire at Houston, very close down to the wire at SMU, uh, very close down to the wire at Villanova. So they've had, uh, they, they, they've played much better on the road. It hasn't resulted in wins. And that's one reason why if you're UConn and you have some aspirations of A, getting a, a higher seed in the conference tournament, B, maybe having a chance to get a, an NIT bid if you don't win the conference tournament, well, then you've got to win these last couple of road games, which they have uh, at Greenville and at Tulane. So that's, you know, winning on the road has kind of been the one hurdle that uh, Dan Hurley's Huskies have not yet gotten over. Talk about senior Christian Vitale. Uh, he's averaging 15 points a ball game, six and a half rebounds. Um, he also um, does a pretty good job of distributing the ball, and um, he's averaging, I think, what, uh, more than two steals a game, if I saw yeah. correctly? Close to two and a half steals a game. And uh, he shoots uh, more than 91% from the free throw line. Yeah. A very good, solid, all-around player. You know, he's a guy that uh, when they re- recruited him, he was kind of the sixth guy uh, or in a class, or fifth guy, an afterthought to a recruiting class that was very highly regarded, and yet he's become the most impactful member of that class. He's been a, a starter for most of his four years, and uh, you know, he, he he can drive you nuts by maybe jacking up some threes that you wish he wouldn't jack up or, or turning the ball over or trying to do some things that he that he really doesn't do. But in this senior year, and particularly in these last eight, nine games of the senior year, uh, he's become a much more under-control player, much more a player who limits mistakes and yet still does the things that he does. You know, he competes very hard, he plays very hard, plays defense very hard. A lot of those steals that he gets result in, in easy baskets because he, he makes those live steals at midcourt a lot. Um, and, and he's shooting he's shooting a little bit better these days. But the, the big thing with him is he's just a tough, gritty player, uh, the kind of player that, 
that Dan Hurley likes and wants, even though he occasionally uh, wants to wring his neck. But the fact is, Hurley, I think, was very fortunate to inherit him in the program because I think he's really helped uh, you know, Dan instill what he wants to instill in terms of an attitude in this program. So he, he's a guy that UConn's really going to miss when he's gone, and uh, they're going to be out looking for somebody to replace him. It's gonna, he's not going to be an easy guy to replace because if you look at those numbers, he does a lot of things for you. Diving into the front court, um, these are a couple guys you've already mentioned, uh, North Carolina natives, Josh Carlton and Isaiah Whaley, uh, Whaley being from Gastonia, while Carlton's from um, very nearby um, Greenville and Winterville and really touches Greenville. And um, I know he had a host of uh, fans there a season ago, like you would expect. But um, he's a guy that absolutely gave East Carolina fits a season ago when um, didn't have um, – the some of the post bodies that we have now um you have a guy like charles coleman i mean he's he's um very raw but at the same time he's at least a big body that the pirates did not have a season ago um and, and josh carlton last year in two games against the pirates he had a combined 40 points and 26 rebounds <laughs> yeah josh uh, had, a, had a really good year last year as the most improved player co-most improved player in the conference he's been a little bit of a disappointment this year he hasn't made the same kind of jump that, um, that 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 they would have hoped he would make sophomore to junior year, uh, but he's still a solid guy. He could still be very effective inside. Uh, but but uh, Isaiah Whaley has really been a revelation for UConn. He's a guy that barely played last year. Looked like he might be on his way out of the program, but he stuck with it and he got bigger and stronger in the off season. Uh, and he's a guy that 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 accepts coaching extremely well. Does not make a lot of mistakes and. Uh, He's really been uh, a huge part of UConn's recent success. He's starting now with the cook gone, as I mentioned, that he's really, really played well. So I think from UConn's standpoint, you know, now that they have two guys down there, it's, it's, it, they could be very effective. It's just the problem is that that's all they have. So if those guys get in foul trouble, they really have to go to a small lineup, uh, maybe more than they'd like to. Talking about one of those smaller guys, talk about James Booknight. Uh, he- he started, I think, 12 ball games of the 24 in which he's played. Um, he's averaging close to 13 points, and he hasn't shot an abundance of threes, but he's knocking them down in a 38% clip. Yeah, he's starting to shoot more and make more threes, which opens up his game a little bit. And he uh, he's a dynamic player. He's the kind of player that uh, teams would be used to seeing in a UConn uniform if you go back uh, to past, you know, guys like a Whip Hamilton and some of the NBA caliber players that UConn's had he's on he's in that class and that's something he's he's the most dynamic and and exciting player that UConn's had in quite a while and uh, he'll probably be the guy that you notice not having seen UConn yet this year he's probably the guy that y'all will notice when UConn gets down there and starts playing Prior to coming to Greenville, though, the um, Huskies will be taking on UCF later on tonight, uh, tonight being Wednesday at the XL Center in Hartford, 7 o'clock tip-off. And, and this is the first time these teams have met this year. UCF has had a disappointing season after such a stellar win a year ago, but um, um, the, the Knights here recently did go up to Fifth Third Arena inside the Shoemaker Center at Cincinnati and win, which very few teams do. Yeah, you know what? Um, this league is very unpredictable, and I'm sure you guys have seen it with ECU through the course of the year. It's really hard to figure. You know, they they went into Cincinnati and they won. Uh, UCF did. Then they lost at home to Tulane. Uh, you know, it, you know, if you look at UConn, obviously they lost to Tulsa at home, beat them on the road. Uh, 
uh, you know, they beat Cincinnati at home. Uh, it's it's that kind of week. I mean, I, I think uh, that's why when I think when you get into the conference tournament, this is going to be a toss up, and almost any of the of the um, the, the twelve teams are going to have a chance to win it. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, UCF obviously you lose Taco Fall, you lose uh, Auburn Dawkins, you lose uh, Taylor. They've lost so many of the guys that were part of the a big part of their team last year. So it's kind of a, a transitional year for for Johnny Dawkins. You know he'll have them back, but. Uh, but yeah, this has been a bit of a disappointment. But like any team in the league, they're a threat to beat anybody, or they could lose to anybody. Well, Dom, I know you're making the trip to Greenville this weekend uh, for the for the game, two o'clock tip off uh, on um, is it ESPNU or ESPN two? One one of those two. Um, but um, this is uh, nationally televised, and um, so state travels to you as you make your way down south to Greenville, and uh, we, we'd love to catch up with you on Saturday. Yeah, you got to Come on up Thanks, to Dominguez and say hello. Thanks so much, Dom, for coming on the show to talk about Dan Hurley's ball club and what should be a very entertaining game and electric atmosphere in Minji's later on today. There has been much talk in recent days about the Pirates' season opener with Marshall being moved to week zero. So right now, let's hear from East Carolina AD John Gilbert on that and much more. Well, as always, it's a lot of fun. We have a chance to sit down with this next gentleman, right, Bubba? Yep, I always love having John Gilbert, Director of Athletics at East Carolina, on the show. John, welcome in. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. And first of all, I want to thank you for your transparency with uh, From the Helm. Uh, I think that's been fantastic for, I think, Pirate Nation. And, and uh, as AD, you've got to be very happy for well, last weekend, which is incredible. A lot of great things going on in Pirate Nation right now. Well, it is an exciting time. We had, obviously, a great weekend last weekend. It was, you know, fun to be a part of it with the amount of wins we got both at home and and on the road. And just a, a great atmosphere where you could go from, you know, the, the basketball game to a baseball game and, and uh, just an exciting time to be a Pirate. Yeah, it was a great weekend. <laughs> John, here about a week and a half ago, the uh, 2020 football schedule was released. We've obviously known the opponents for quite some time, but uh, finding those dates out is always exciting for Pirate Nation. And um, the, the announcement that came one day later is one that um, we're all excited about, um, the 50th anniversary of the horrific plane crash in 1970. So talk about that decision, and um, that's something that we have talked about on this show just whether it was week zero or Thursday night, we thought something may very well happen. Well, I, I'm excited that it worked out, uh, number one. Uh, two, I think it is a uh, will be a great weekend of visibility for both institutions where we can celebrate that, you know, 1970s Marshall team. And, you know, as I began uh, talking to our staff about it, I eventually reached out to Marshall to make sure that they were comfortable with it and would be, you know, agreeable to, to moving it up a week. And so everyone it was in agreement. Uh, we committed uh, to filing the waiver with the Football Oversight Committee. And so both the Football Oversight Committee approved it. It then went on to the NCAA for their approval. And, you know, once it was approved, obviously we announced it immediately. Uh, it'll be on August 29th, and it'll be televised on one of the ESPN linear channels. 
So uh, excited about that visibility. I'm excited about you know ECU and Eastern North Carolina putting you know our best foot forward on a you know nationally televised broadcast uh, where we can celebrate that team, but also celebrate East Carolina and uh, what a great uh, environment and place that we have. And looking forward to having a full Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Yeah, and it's only one of seven uh, FBS games being played on Week Zero. Um, I, I know probably the university doesn't have a lot of pool in this, but are you, are you guys pushing for prime time? Well, it, it'll be completely up to ESPN, and and so I, I would uh, I would say I would anticipate the game being played, uh, you know late late afternoon early evening uh window but but i don't know that for sure that really is an espn decision how soon do you think we'll, we'll hear you know i i would hope that we would know you know sometime early summer once they finalize all their programming i know there's some games on the west coast yeah. uh there may be an scs game or two and so I would think we'll hear at some point, uh, you know, in the next month or two, couple months. John, I had a question as far as uh, the Marshall series excel. Uh, except, um, well, is this a series that I know we have former uh, AD for BCU, Mike Hamrick. Uh, is this a series that we can, I know the, there's no specifics now, but can we have uh, hopefully maybe another home and home with them uh, in the near future? Well, actually, on our – I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm going to look really quick. On our, you know, contract with uh, with Marshall, I know that it's for uh, multiple games. It's four games. Yeah, four games. So I, I know that we'll, we'll play them, uh, you know, the next, the next two years, and then we pick them up again in – uh, 23 and 25. So we'll, we'll have three more opportunities to play Marshall after this year. And on the scheduling lines, uh, is there is there any? Uh, are we close to finding a deal with anybody else? I know at one time there was a rumor out there that there was a home and home with the P5 that may be uh, going to be announced. Is there anything new in scheduling for future schedules? Well, well, we're we're working with a group of five school for a home and home, a team close to the region. We've got an FCS game that we need to schedule. Uh, the the P5 series fell through. I think there was some uh, reluctance on their part to come to Greenville, and I didn't did not want uh, you know the game to be you know one sided. Uh, you know, we got as far as discussing contracts. And, and in the contract language, the buyout when they came to Greenville was not high enough, in my opinion, and, and so we ended up walking away. Okay. So there's a group of five, just uh, regional, that, that we're looking at. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it, in an ideal schedule, you're playing, you know, a, a P5 school, a, a group of five school, home and away, and an SCS game right. uh, for, for your schedule. And so... Uh, in the years in question, that we need an additional, uh, you know, group of five or FBS type game. You know, we're working with a regional school on on doing a, a home and home. Uh, you know, that th- throughout, you know, the next several years, and then in one year, we need an FCS opponent, and and working on those right now. 
Was there any interest? I know we we have a home and home with Boise, and we have a home and home with BYU. Is there any interest with any other group of fathers from outside the area? One school that I've always had a fascination with playing because they recruit the southeast so much is Colorado State. I, I don't know why. I always look. We recruit against them in football, particularly when Mike Bobo was the head coach. Have you ever had any conversations with anybody like that? You know, not not that far away. Uh, we haven't, you know, I, I think that certainly you can play a game like that like one time. You know, I think in the, you know, 2026, 2027, we've got Boise home and home. You, you can do that once. I wouldn't want to make a regular diet out of that just for the expense of that type game. I was going to ask that very question. As far as uh, scheduling goes, obviously you want to have an attractive schedule for a nice segue for season tickets. Uh, how are you thinking season tickets? I know we opened up uh, season tickets earlier as far as sales. How are things going so far? Well, you know, we're trending in the right direction. Uh, obviously, March, April, May are really big months uh, for us from a season ticket standpoint. We are going to uh, put a, uh, you know, chart up, you know, kind of like the United Way type chart where everyone will get to see where our progress is. And so I really want to achieve the 16,000 threshold. Uh, our season ticket, you know, number last year, while it was improved from the previous year, it's not really where we need to be from a competitive standpoint, and a lot of our funding for our programs comes out of season tickets, and so we really need to do a good job of trying to get to that, you know, 16,000 threshold in season tickets. We also need to sell single-game tickets, and I do think moving the Marshall game to week zero will help in that regard. People will not have to choose between going to the game or going to the beach on Labor Day weekend. And speaking of, of that, you know, I, I actually think moving it to August 29th is going to increase attendance a lot. I think the pop and circumstance around it, I think we're going to have a lot of fans travel down from Huntington. But just in general, do you have any idea yet of what we're going to do? What kind of? I know we're going to make it a special night, but do you have something in mind yet? Are you and Ryan working on that of what we're going to do? Well, I I have a list, and uh, since we started talking about this, you know, I've heard from people that have had great ideas. You know, there are a lot of ideas that there are a lot of ideas that that we've come up with internally, and and really what I want to do is my last discussion with Mike Hamrick was let's both get through basketball and then let's find a time where maybe we could come over to Huntington, uh, spend a day with your staff, and and talk about the right way to celebrate the game. And I want to find the balance of doing a really good job of celebrating uh, that team and the memory of that team and the family members while, while also understanding it is still an ECU home football game and we need to win the game. Absolutely. And, and so uh, th- there's a balance between the two, and I want to make sure that we, you know, thread the needle on that balance. Yeah, honor the 1970 team, beat the 2020 team. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I saw uh, just, just, just uh, I know there's no way anything we're going to consider, but I saw it suggested somewhere that uh, we, we, uh, we, what was the term used? Uh, 
make Greenville green. Everybody wear green in honor of the 1970 team game. Uh, no, please, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that's not on the idea list for me. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I clearly think there are some ways that we can celebrate them, but, um, you, you know, we still want to win the game and we still want to create a home field advantage for our football team, and I think we can do a balance of both. John, one of the things I saw on social media on uh, Twitter, I think it was, was uh, along those lines, was the very fact of both teams maybe wearing throwback uniforms. Is that something difficult to do at this time? Like, yeah, t- time I, I, yeah, I would say uh, probably not realistic. You, you know, um, I, I, I can't speak to exactly what we're doing yet because we've not finalized that. We're still very much in the discussion mode. But I, I would think, you know, there, there will be some 1970-type things around the game. It, do, do you all know what the number one song was in the country in 1970? No clue. Br- Bridge think. Over Troubled Waters by Simon and Garfunkel. All right. Well, well I love the song. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that song's going to get anybody fired up. Uh, <laughs> look. Everybody's got their own taste in music, John. I, 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 I prefer that to some of the stuff we do play. Um, yeah, but, no, I understand. But uh, I, speaking of things from 1970 being at the game, yes, Dave Richmond will be at the game. <laughs> that, that's good to hear. Yeah. I definitely will. As far as um, let's talk some athletic facilities. Uh want to see if there's any update on anything. I know always with uh, no matter where you work, there, there's obviously – budget constraints, I know that full uh, well. Um, are there any like talks as far as uh, any more about the indoor practice facility, maybe some other things for the other sports? You know, obviously uh, indoor practice facility is of great interest. I, I think, you know, obviously the funding model, uh, we would have to, um, you know, have a solid plan on what that direction is. I think, you know, a new chancellor coming in, uh, you know, is important for us as we look at what we do. We're we're just wrapping up the softball batting cages and closing those. Uh, So it's, you know, softball will have a really good place to hit uh, indoors now. We still want to improve the branding around the athletic facilities. And so, I would say at this point, nothing major going on, but a lot of little things from a uh, branding type perspective. Yeah, and how do you continue to, to upgrade and move forward and advance and, and do little things like that when, when there is some struggle financially? I mean, how, how tough is that? People want an indoor practice facility when we're still paying for Talmadge Tower. Yeah, and, and, you know, the reality is we're going to be paying on Town Bank Tower for a long time. And, uh, you know, we've got to continue to figure that out from a financial standpoint. We've got to sell tickets and, you know, generate revenue to help fund those things. But we also can, you know, rely on private giving for donors to help invest in some things. And fortunately at, at ECU, uh we we have had the ability for donors to invest in us and that's where a lot of this branding and other things have come from as of late and 
I mean, Talbot Tower was the first thing that I can think of that had a big corporate sponsor on it that wasn't named after a person. Uh, is, is that something we're going to do? Try to do moving forward more is is have corporations put their names on things. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've got a couple other naming opportunities that you know trying to finalize the. But yes, uh, we need. Um, you know, private donations. We need corporations to invest in us. I am thankful for Town Bank uh, and the commitment that they made. Uh, you know, particularly at the time when they made it. it, it did show a lot of individuals in this region that you know we are still a worthy inv- investment and we are trending in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John, I wanted to bring up. Obviously, we have our final men's home basketball game on Saturday against UConn, and, and so uh, I've heard the ticket sales for that are ahead of where they typically are, so that was awesome to hear. But uh, one of the things this year um, that I think you and the staff of Ryan Robinson, Eric Ward and company that have done a tremendous job with is the promotions, and you you have the, the snow globes, you have the, the vintage coasters, and just some <laughs> terrific giveaways that uh, haven't necessarily been there in the past. Well, we've got a really good external uh, unit. Uh, We've got a lot of good people that work in our uh, marketing department, our social media, and and they are really creative and have done a good job of, uh, one, generating some revenue, uh, increasing fan entrance. Uh, interest and then you know just making sure that it's entertaining uh, when you come to the game so I I am thankful for that group and and definitely think that uh, they've helped spark some interest in basketball this year yeah think of Ron Robinson he's running the Pirate Club right now how is that coming searching for a new uh, Pirate Club leader well we haven't really begun the search yet Uh, we're taking our time I want to, to really make sure that we're on good, solid footing in the Pirate Club before we uh, reach out. And, and so we're doing a lot of uh, talking and listening and, and uh, want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can do internally before we bring an external candidate in. John, I had a question as far as uh, this weekend. Very special, uh, but we're all very excited about the Keith Clare Classic. Can you talk about maybe some festivities or are certainly your thoughts on a huge weekend for EC baseball as well? Well, it, you know, obviously uh, the Keith LeClaire Classic speaks for itself and, and what Coach, uh, you know, meant to East Carolina, the university, and really this region, and his impact is alive still today with this baseball program. And, and you know, bringing in the caliber teams that, that we have with you know, Indiana and Ole Miss and High Point uh, and, and obviously East Carolina should be a great weekend of baseball. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we've got to take one game at a time. Uh, I think Saturday will be a, a great day of, of pirate athletics where you, you'll be able to go to a men's basketball game at 2 o'clock versus Connecticut. Uh, baseball's at 4.30, and then we have – uh, women's basketball at home for senior night against Tulane. So uh, a, a lot to attend uh, for for Pirates this weekend and excited about uh, what the weekend holds for us. John, and along the lines of, of baseball, something I, I, I kind of wonder in general about athletic directors, when you got a coach 
like Cliff Godwin, and Cliff's very well compensated. But he, he's somebody that's going to come up for SEC jobs every year because of the success he has and the ties to the conference he has as an assistant down there in the past. Do, do you – I mean, is that something you have to pay more attention to? Do you have a list of candidates you keep up with or guys that, you know, hey, if Cliff leaves for a better job or perceived to be a better job, this is somebody we'd look at? Or do you just, just cross that bridge if you get there and hopefully you don't? Well, obviously, uh, Cliff has achieved a high level of success here, and we we want Cliff to be our head coach for a very long time and, and want to continue to do things to help incentivize baseball. Uh, you know, and Cliff has told me multiple times how much he, you know, loves being the head coach at, at East Carolina. And obviously with him being a, an alum and, and a former letterman, uh, you know, I believe him. Uh, but you also have to be prepared that, you know, at some point, uh, you know, there may come a school that, that uh, hires one of our coaches in any of our sports if they achieve a certain level of success. And as an athletic director, you always want to be mindful and prepared of, you know, a scenario like that because they can come very quickly. And, and so in that case, I think you're always in your head thinking about, you know, a list of people for every sports program you have. And it's always John, a lot of preparation, for sure. It is a lot of work and preparation. Sorry, Dave, but I was just going to ask while we're on baseball, uh, here, I guess next weekend, um, the Pirates will be down in the Charlotte area taking on the 49ers three-game series. Uh, obviously no home basketball going on. Um, I think basketball is at UCF on Sunday. So will you be able to uh, attend that series? Uh, actually, I'm right, right now on my calendar, I'm traveling with men's basketball to UCF is where uh, I plan on being. So that means you have to be at the games, Bubba. You live right near close to, to Charlotte. So you you'd be, be representing the team. university, Bubba. Um, and, and I guess, John, we're wrapping this up along the same lines of, of baseball schedule. And I question I just thought of that I wondered about when looking at the baseball schedule and looking at spring game weekend, um, is is there a way? I mean, I, I I think we've tried to schedule the spring game with Pirate Fest, but is there a way that the football staff and the baseball staff, any way they could get together and do the spring game in the future the same weekend as a home baseball series? There There is, and I, I think a lot of it is, you know, where the calendar falls, where spring break falls in, how many days football uh, gets in, obviously in an ideal situation, we'd love to have a home baseball game. Uh, and so we all recognize that and we'll continue to work to make that happen. Well, John, thank you so much. I know that you're busy with Keith LeClaire Classic. There's so many sports going on uh, this weekend in Greenville. Thank you so much from all the Pirate Nation. I can speak for the, for the transparency, uh, your hard work. I know you and Ryan, they're putting in and all the staff many, many hours. And uh, thank you for all that you've done over the last year, year and a half and look forward to having you as AD for many years to come. Well, thanks for having me, and go Pirates. Thanks so much to John Gilbert for his time and willingness to come on the program to discuss East Carolina athletics. If you know anything about travel baseball, you've definitely heard of the Dirtbags. Last summer, we enjoyed talking with Trey Daly, East Carolina alum and GM of the Dirtbags. Well, we caught up with Trey on Thursday afternoon and discussed past 
current and future pirates, and a whole lot more. Let's go to that conversation right now. Well, baseball season is here, obviously, and Bubba, one of our most listened to podcasts, we're so glad to have this guy back on. Yeah, we caught up with this guy last summer. I guess it was early to mid-June, and um, like you said, Dave, got a ton of listens, and I know folks enjoyed hearing from him. He's an East Carolina alum, but um, more importantly, the reason we had him on is because he's the general manager of the Dirtbags, one of the premier travel baseball organizations for sure, and welcome to the show, Trey Daly. Oh, thanks for having me again, guys. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation last year and look forward to talking some more baseball and East Carolina baseball as well. No doubt about it. And uh, we, uh, I was joking with Bubba, like I told you all, there has, uh, you can come on every single week if you want to, but uh, we don't want to, I know you're very busy. Let's talk about uh, certainly with travel baseball and uh, we can talk Pirates, any other state, North Carolina baseball, whatever you want um, as far as the state is concerned. Uh, I guess we can start off with home with East Carolina. What are your thoughts uh, with East Carolina and uh, with this, uh, we'll talk about the number of guys you've got on the team that played on, on the dirtbags, but let's talk how are things looking for the Pirates so far. Yeah, so I was, you know, with me living in the middle of the state and high school baseball starting up, I don't really get to watch the Pirates much, but I did get to see them at Elon the other night. Um, and I told Jeff Colombo, the recruiting coordinator with East Carolina, the first thing I noticed about the kids that played for us that are now over at East Carolina, when I walked in, the first thing I noticed was how physical the kids have gotten, which uh, hats off to their strength conditioning coach. I think it's Brandon Golden. Um, but those guys have really been in the weight room. Um, I mean, you know, Thomas Francisco, um, Bryson Warrell, even Ryder Giles, Garrett Saylor, all those guys, they're just so much more physical um, at this age, and from high school baseball to college baseball, the biggest difference is how strong kids are. And hey, those dudes in East Carolina's uniforms look the part. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, so let's talk specifically. I, I know um, there have been a lot of former Pirates that played for you guys, and then also um, current East Carolina players. And so who are some guys on the, the current roster that played for the Dirtbags at one time or another? So we've had, we had out of 35, we had 19 of them. Um, so, I mean, the guy I always start with is uh, Ryder Giles, um, the shortstop of East Carolina. I remember when he actually didn't play for us this freshman year, and I heard wind of his name. So I went down to Union Pines. And it took me all of three ground balls to watch that guy field a ground ball and go, okay, that guy can really play defense. Um, he played for another travel team, which is crazy, his freshman year, and they put him in the outfield. Uh, I'm not calling anybody out, but that guy is one of the best premier infielders I've seen since doing this. So the Pirates have got a good one at short. And no doubt about it, uh, I've had the opportunity to actually get to know that family a little bit. Uh, and his his father, Rick, is an excellent guy, and I've enjoyed um, standing there talking to him some while uh, watching the Pirates play over over the last couple years. So, but um, in addition to Ryder, I know there are way too many to name because there's 19, but uh, in, in the past, I know guys um, that definitely would come to mind that went on to, um, I know you, the Dirtbags organization, uh, you've put close to 30 players in MLB, and Seth Manus and Mike Wright are two of those that came through East Carolina. Right, yeah. Those. So I was actually not involved with the dirtbags at the time when those two came through. 
But I did, I was coaching high school baseball, and I saw Seth Manus in the bullpen over at the high school at, in uh, Greenville. And, you know, hats off to the guys at East Carolina and, and the pitching guys and the head coach over there at the time. Like, Seth Manus got better. Um, and that's the key to all these guys, no matter who, uh, you know, you go in with this big bullseye on your back, and you've got to live up to it. So, you know, hats off to those guys continuing to get better. That's the key to the whole – you know, travel circuit, college baseball, pro baseball, because eventually it's going to run out if you don't get better. I want to ask you as far as Trey, that very thing is that as far as recruiting is concerned, East Carolina with baseball, the recruiting classes are just unbelievable. If you look at the last, what, handful of years, uh, it's always been good. But you look at now, what do you think, the what's the magic ingredient? Why is East Carolina so good as far as recruiting and getting the, the top-notch players. Right. I, I don't want this to sound cliche and, like, I've got something with East Carolina, which I love the Pirates. I went to school there. My family bleeds purple and gold. But a lot of people give Cliff credit, which he deserves credit. The guy is just – he's got a high motor. He earns everything he gets. But I don't think a lot enough people give Jeff Palumbo credit. Um, you know, I've been, I've been lucky enough to do this for eight years, and – Jeff Palumbo, I would say this, if he was at Nebraska or if he was at Florida State or if he was at Richmond, I'm just throwing out some schools. Jeff Palumbo is one of the best in the business as far as communication, not only with the travel ball coaches, but as far as the players, um, setting up calls with the players. As you know, until your junior year, these guys can't call you, so they have to run everything through travel ball and high school coaches. And Jeff Palumbo – you know, this is just a little story. If a, if Jeff tells a kid to call him at 830 and the kid calls him at 830, Jeff is going to answer, which, you know, Jeff's wife probably doesn't get enough credit, too, because of all the time he puts into this thing. I can only imagine being at the dinner table and you got some big recruit calling from Virginia and you got to answer. He answers. Like, it's unbelievable. I mean, he just doesn't get enough credit, not only from an identification standpoint of players, but as far as, um, you know, getting players to East Carolina, Cliff getting on the phone with them. I mean, it is, a, it is an unbelievable staff they have there. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, we talked about the heavy uh, influx of dirtbags to East Carolina over the years, including the current roster and moving forward. But um, just I know you guys have been around. You've been involved for, what, eight years now, Trey? Yeah, eight years. Going on eight. So um, I, I know the dirtbags have been around since way back in 2002. So going on two decades of existence and um, have put over 240 guys in professional baseball and well over a thousand have signed college scholarships. So uh, just talk about some of those um, guys and the high profile guys like Corey Seager, Dustin Ackley, Brian Goodwin, uh, and Madison Bumgarner. How did I leave that one out? But uh, yeah. And and, and then um, some of the guys. Uh, Besides those um, alums, if you will, the ones that you have headed to in-state programs now, be it UNC Wilmington, North Carolina, whoever, because there are so many great programs across the state. Oh, there's there's plenty of good programs across the state. You know, let's not fool ourselves. Madison Bumgarner, Will Myers, Corey Seager, those guys are just are freak athletes. Like, you know, they could play for anybody. We were just very lucky to have them. And they established our program, and they continue to get better to this day, like I said, you know, a few minutes ago. Those guys helped us really take off. 
and we've continued to we do it a little differently now. We we get out and we watch the kids play, and we watch the kids play in North Carolina. And you know, I'm looking at my schedule for next week and get on the road start tomorrow. I'll be in South Carolina next week watching some of our kids play. But going back to your question, as far as you know, Will Corey Seager, all those guys, those guys were very very talented. And they have been taking advantage of some opportunities that they were given at a younger age, and they have just succeeded. I mean, again, if you don't work, it doesn't matter how good you are. Um, the game's going to run out on you. I mean, you look – I always use this name when I talk about dirtbag players getting better. Adam Warren was, is one of my best friends, and he's four years younger than me. Um, but long story short, as a freshman in high school, if you would have told me he would play in the big leagues, I would have bet my house on it. Um, he's been in the big leagues 10 years now, and he was nothing but a 76 to 80-mile-an-hour right-hand pitcher as a freshman in high school. Wow. That's amazing. So talk about the – as far as people that are getting in, we talked about this before. I think last year you can listen to the first interview, but can you talk about travel baseball as far as kids and um, – and how they can go about getting started with that whole process? Yeah, so, you know, travel baseball is, I want to say, I don't want to say it's a monster, but but it really is. It's, it's such a big environment for kids to play in. First of all, with travel baseball, you've got people out there, um, which is, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but you've got people out there that are trying to win championships. Now, don't get me wrong. I like to win just as much as anybody else. Um, but then you've got some guys out there that are trying to get kids to college baseball. And I think that's where we differ from a lot of people. Um, you know, we're going to win because we've got good players, but we want to develop these guys to be ready to be part of something when they get to college, no matter if it's Division One through Division Three, It's all about – or junior college. It's all about making the kids ready to be part of the program they're going in, um, you know, and with Cliff Godwin, I know the kids in our program really well. Well, Cliff always asked me, hey, who who should I, you know, talk to? Who who does Jeff need to get on? We talk often. And one thing, and, Cliff, and you guys hear this, Cliff talks about toughness, toughness. Are these guys tough? Well, I'll tell you right now, if we don't have a guy that's tough and he's super talented, I'm not telling Cliff about him because if you're not tough and you go to East Carolina, Cliff's going to swallow you up and spit you out. So you've got to be really, really tough to play, play for Cliff. And the guys that he's got there right now, I mean, they're tough kids that played for us. Yeah, no doubt. And um, so I know you guys, Trey, teams eight uh, all the way up through age 18. You also offer softball. So talk, talk about those teams and um, and then – other ways that people can, can find out about you as far as your website, and I know you have a podcast, et cetera. Yeah, so our website is thedirtbags.com, um, and, you know, I actually do some individual lessons if kids want to try out for us. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough, I can't thank Andy Parton enough for giving me this opportunity I've, I've uh, had the last eight years. But, you know, a lot of our stuff, in the youth level, a guy named Everett Hancock, who played at UNCG, he's originally from Havelock, North Carolina, won a state championship there. He runs our youth stuff. 
our middle school program, which is about 13U to 14U, Logan Koch, who played at the University of South Carolina and Francis Marion, he runs that. And then once they get into high school, um, I kind of oversee all that stuff. And, you know, our thing is with, with the dirt bags is we want to continue to make kids better. Um, we're not going to take a pitcher out there and let him throw 115, 120 pitches in a weekend. We want the guys to be at their peak when they get to college. So, obviously, I'm looking at, like, for example, all right now I'm looking at A.J. Wilson's picture on the uh, East Carolina roster. And I remember when A.J. was a um, – he was actually a sophomore and we were playing in Fort Myers. And I had talked to Jeff before the game, and he said, look, man, he's like, I really want to see A.J.'s change-up during this game some. You know, I want to see him flash it. Now, obviously, down in Fort Myers, you want to win the game. So you've got to pick your spot. So I remember walking. We were at uh, the Red Sox, Red Sox uh, spring training place. And I remember walking to the mound in about the fifth inning, and we were winning like 10-3. to 3. And uh, I got to the mound, I said, hey, A.J., these next two pitches to this batter, it was like a it was like a 2-1 count, like, and there was two outs, so there was nothing like to gain from it. And we were up big. I remember him saying, A.J., let's throw two change-ups here. He looked at me, he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, trust me. I said, hey, man, you want to earn a scholarship right now? Let's throw two change-ups. Well, long story short, he threw two change-ups for strikes, struck the dude out, came off the mound, he's like, did you know something I didn't know? And we kind of chuckled about it. But, you know, it's all about trying to make kids better and trying to put them in the right scenarios so they can uh, succeed at the next level. Yeah, Trey, that's something uh, kind of a similar story, and I'm certainly not bringing this up in a bragging way, but just piggybacking off your point as far as being able to throw other pitches and in, in those, uh, whether it's a change-up or a breaking ball in a – fastball count like that i remember one of my first years of coaching i had a kid that he couldn't break a glass probably but uh he was able to throw his curveball and change up in in a um in you know those traditional fastball counts and we're playing a pretty good team and he's he's getting them out left and right and through a complete game in a seven inning game only throwing probably no more than 70 or 75 pitches and and me and my assistant coach, we're just shaking our heads. <laughs> yeah, and that's great you said, Bubba, because at the end of the day, pitchers to have success at the next level, they got to have pitchability. It's not so much just blowing fastballs by people and blowing up hitters. you got to be able to throw more than uh, one pitch to play wherever you want to play at. No doubt about it. In fact, uh, Trey, I know that that very fact of when they get to the high school level, but also – College level, we look at a guy like uh, Gavin Williams. I know that he's been working hard on getting another pitch or two, right? Or perfecting, uh, I think he has pitches, but working on those more than just having a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. No no doubt. It's funny you bring up Gavin Williams. That is one name that I just can't get over myself on. Um, when Gavin was a sophomore at, at Cape Fear High School, I remember going down there. You know, Gavin, he's six foot five, six foot six. He's a big guy. And he was hurt that game I went to. But I swear, and I talk about this often, I didn't see any six foot five or six foot six guy in that dugout. Like, that one, like, baffles me because I feel like I have 
North Carolina high school baseball in the palm of my hand and knowing where players are. But Gavin, I, I never saw Gavin in high school, which is crazy. He was hurt, but I just want to think he wasn't at that game. <laughs> yeah, and I want to say now that once you did find out about Gavin, like I know um, coming out of high school, because obviously his freshman year at East Carolina in that in that series against the Tar Heels at the DBAP, it was well noted uh, on social media how he hit triple digits a time right. or two. Yeah. So, uh, so back when he was at Cape Fear, um, any idea how hard he was throwing in? Was he was he like a '96 guy? Or when he was at Cape Fear, as crazy as it sounds, he was an upper '80s guy. Now he wow. might he might have touched he might have touched '90, but he was more of an upper '80s guy. So, again, we talked about strengths and the guys being in shape and all that earlier. That's a big key to it once they get to college, um, and that helps the velocity and whatnot. Now, I'll tell you this: talking about a pirate that never made it to campus. I remember watching Mackenzie Gore. We were, he was 14 years old, and I was wow. coaching Turner Brown's team at 15 years old, and Mackenzie threw against us at um, – it was it was one of the Brunswick County schools we were playing at in the middle of nowhere down there. He was 14 now. Now, we won the game, but Mackenzie Gore at that time was like – at 14 now, he was like – 75 to 80, and he <laughs> diced us. Oh my I God. mean, absolutely diced us. And thank God he got off the mound so we, we could win the game. But he was he was good. Yeah, are there? Uh, can I don't know. Can we talk about uh, future pirates that are coming to their own your roster now that are coming to East Carolina? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm going to start where you know we were lucky enough this fall to have Josh Moreland from uh, Maryland. Big left-handed hitter, six four two thirty. Now that guy's got some serious juice. Um, he's got a chance to really hit the middle of the lineup at uh, East Carolina moving forward. Um, so that's a good bat to come in. Uh, Cohen Moreno, um, he is anywhere from ninety two to ninety five right now. He's getting some draft interest, obviously. But Cohen's a guy that's played in our program for four years. He started when he was in eighth grade. And he's played every position on the diamond. And finally, he figured out he was a pitcher. Um, and he's got a chance to make some money one day being that pitcher. Hopefully, he gets on campus before that. Um, the kid I really like, obviously, I like those two. Cameron Clutch, I remember telling Cliff about him uh, in his career, younger in his career. And Cliff came and watched him at Lewisburg High School. And Cam's a two-way guy. I know Cliff talks about hashtag two-way you, but Cam's going to be able to do both. The game Cliff came to, not only did he pitch, but he hit a jack uh, in the right field at Lewisburg. I mean, it was well out of here. Um, so Cameron Clunch is a guy. Uh, Danny Beal uh, is a guy that can really pitch. He's he's going to be anywhere right now from 86 to 90. Um and the strength program is really going to help him. He's coming out of Reagan High School, where Garrett Saylor's from. Um, uh, C.J. Boyd is a kid coming out of Reagan High School as well. He's a very versatile kid. Um, I found C.J. during a high school game two years ago, and the reason I found him was that his his arm strength was so much superior to everybody else. I didn't even see him hit to start with. I saw him throw a ball from third base to first base, and I was like, that guy's got a good arm. So he's been up to like 92 on the mound. Um, now he needs to work on some other pitches, which he doesn't pitch much, but he's very versatile. He can play any position on the diamond. 
Um, so he he's a good player that's coming in there. Um, and one of my one of my favorites going in there now. I don't know if he's going to like make a impact there because they're getting so good, but he is definitely going to work and make somebody work harder. And that's Garrett Chandler. Um, I I was lucky enough to coach Garrett for two years, and this is a this guy is like Cliff Gowen mold. He he works out at five a.m. every morning, and then he works out after baseball practice. So wow. he's got a motor that doesn't stop. <laughs> so he he like I said. It'd be interesting to see what happens in East Carolina, but I know the kid's not going to get outworked, which is uh, awesome for Cliff. Trey, um, I want to ask you. Uh, I'm sorry, I thought you were done. No, I was going to ask you about the very fact of something that I'm glad you said. I've already forgotten about it, but uh, can you talk about the uh, the impact of the game as far as having two way players? I have never seen so many two way. I think it's six on the roster this year for East Carolina, but. It's amazing to me. I was telling Bubba, it's almost like watching Little League, having all these guys that can pitch, they can play different positions. It's a real big asset. Uh, yeah, it's funny you say that because I'm talking college baseball across the scheme. When when coaches recruit players, now, look, every pitcher out there thinks they can hit and every position player thinks they can pitch, but none of them really can do it. So when college coaches recruit players, they always talk about, hey, we'll give you a chance to hit. We'll give you a chance to hit. And normally they go in the fall and they get a couple of bats and then they have to stick to pitching. Or, you know, they get in the field, they give them a couple innings, and then they go back to the field. So the two-way U is funny because Cliff is actually sticking to his guns when he says that. He's telling the kids what they want, not only what they want to hear, but he's holding up to what he's telling them. So – and you don't find that much this day and time. I mean, we're talking about two-way players right now in this 2020 class coming in. I mean, I just saw Landon Ginn throw the other day, and his his uh, velo was up to 92 and hit a jack from the left side. Um, and, I, and I'll say this on the record. If Cameron Clunch can adapt to Cliff Godwin's system and how tough he is, he's got a chance to be just as good as Burleson, if not better. And I know that's wow. singing high praises, but I've seen both the kids at this age, and I coach both the kids between Burleson and Clunch. And Alec Burleson's a hell of a player, but Cameron Clunch, he's got a chance to do stuff really special at East Carolina. Well, that makes me happy because uh, we want to see you out in Omaha, and there's a lot of great <laughs> people that have uh, East Carolina ties. And I know you deal more than just East Carolina with being the general manager of the Dirtbags, but – I can't wait to that moment. My bosses already know that when I don't take the time off, but they know that whenever we do finally make it to Omaha, um, I have extra money aside. I'm not booking the hotels. I'm not put, taking time off. I'm uh, normally not Mr. Superstitious, but when it comes to Omaha, I definitely am. Oh, yeah. You know, I've already told my wife when they get to Omaha, it's going to be like, all right, we're going out there for a little bit. Um it, it, you know, it's eventually going to happen. Baseball is a tough sport, so you don't know when it's going to happen. But I know as long as Cliff and Jeff and Dietrich are there, they got a chance. They got a chance every year because they're going to be tough kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, the most talented team normally wins the game. I know Cliff's going to hate me saying that. But tough kids win games too. So, um, you know, that's just a little bit of, uh, you know, East Carolina's perception of Omaha. And, Trey, it's, it's like I've told people when the Pirates go to Omaha, obviously, like you said, uh, it's a 
it's a it's an ordeal. I mean, it could last three or four days for you. Hopefully, that's not the case. Hopefully, it's going to be lasting more like two weeks or maybe a little over two weeks. So it's it's something um, that I so I told my dad and people that. When we go, I said, I don't care if I have to sleep in a tent for two weeks. That I, <laughs> as long as I'm in Omaha, I could care less. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you know, I'm a big East Carolina guy, as you guys well know. And, you know, in the middle of our summer season um, is our peak time. I mean, you know, the spring season in high school ball is about to crank off, and I'll see about 100 teams play. But the summer is our big season. And if I can guarantee you if, if East Carolina gets there, I I will be flying out to watch at least one game, even if it's for one day, because I will empty my savings account to be there to watch those guys play. No doubt about it. It's going to be exciting. You know, Dave, I know Trey's been very generous with his time, but something yeah. we want to uh, mention right here before we let you go is um, let's give some love to the other guys with the dirt bags that you have um, headed places um, for 2020-2021 and talk about some of those others that you have committed, whether it's to in-state programs or, or um, regional or national. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, if you got – and this is for any listener out there. If you got – and if you guys have a chance to do this, you need to treat yourself and go to a Garner High School baseball game this year. Because you're going to see a young man by the name of Nolan McLean, who's a senior um, at, at Garner. He's going to be up to around 96 on the mound. And he is going to probably, if they don't pitch around him, he's probably going to hit about 10 home runs this year at Garner. Um, he is an absolute freak. Um, he He's committed to Oklahoma State, but I'll be honest with you guys. Now, he's committed to play football and baseball. I personally think he's a so much better baseball player, he's going to have a chance to go in the major league draft. But he's going to be a guy that if the stars align like they should align, that he'll be in the show here in probably less than five years. So that's a guy definitely in the state of North Carolina I would see as his senior year is uh, Nolan McLean at Garner. He played for us for four years. So we had him when he was in, you know, going into ninth grade, which we're very lucky to have. Um, in the 2020 class, besides Nolan, we've we've got some guys that you know they're going to in-state places. Um, not only Division One, but Division Two, II, Division Three. Um, a bunch of our guys are going to East Carolina, but you know we've got a kid by the name of Ryan Wilson who is a right-hand hitter at Jordan High School. He's going to Davidson, and he he's a really good hitter. Um, and Davidson got a great get from him. Um, Jack Hicks is a left-hand hitter from Leesville. He's going to Kentucky with Dan up there. Um, we've had a kid by the name of Colby Wilkerson at Carvance who's going to the University of North Carolina. Now, here's a good one. Ben Saraki from Rocky Mount, right down the road from East Carolina. Really smart kid. He got most valuable pitcher, which is, I know it's a, a trophy and MVP, but he got the most valuable pitcher in the biggest tournament of his career in Jupiter this past year. Um, and he's going to Elon. Now, this guy faced two of the best hitters in the country that will be drafted in the first two rounds, and he diced those dudes up uh, from the Orlando Scorpions. So that's an intriguing arm Elon's getting. He's going to be anywhere from 88 to 91 with a really good slider. Um, and, again, he's from Rocky Mountain, so he's right off the did road. He, did you say he's a lefty or righty? He's a right-hander. He's okay. a right-hander. 
he's got the high spin high spin rate, whatever I talks about. But he that guy can really really pitch. Um, and you know we got a kid from New Bern by the name of Declan Champy. He's going to Mercer, and this guy throws from about a three quarter arm slot, and he's anywhere from eighty four to eighty eight, and he just sinks the baseball. He gets a bunch of weak contact, and uh, he just gets people out. I mean, like Ryder Giles, you know, he pitched a little bit for us, and he don't throw the ball over 80, but he just dices people up. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Ryder has already come through uh, on a few occasions this year for East Carolina. Yeah, he's uh, – Ryder's – like I said, when I went and watched Ryder take those three ground balls and was like – I called my boss Andy and was like, "All right, this is this is like too good to be true." Um, there's a there's a infielder in the Oakland Athletics uh, system right now. I can't remember his name. He perfect game ranked in the number one shortstop in the 2019 class, and I'm gonna excuse me 2018 class, and I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna say that Ryder was just as good Nick Allen's his name. Ryder was just as good defensively as Nick Allen was. And he was the best infielder in the country according to Perfect Game. Well and certainly high praise indeed. Yeah, he you know, you you just don't teach that stuff. I mean that guy's just I mean, you know, I coached Turner Brown, I was lucky enough to coach Ryder, but those hands are really soft, like, you know, ground balls. And watch him make a couple errors the next game because I'm building them up. But <laughs> yeah, he, he he's a special kid, man, He and he's a tough kid. Um, I give him a little uh, stuff about that tattoo he's got now. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny you bring that up, Trey, because I hadn't heard anything about it. I mean, I, I don't guess there's really any reason I, why I would have. But, um, you know, the opener against William & Mary, I think Ryder doubled in – Corey Glore, play-by-play voice of the Pirates, said that when when uh, Ryder slid in the second, and he hopped up and he did his thing flexing, and Corey said, I guess he's showcasing that new Pirate State of Mind tattoo that he got no, since 2019. No, no doubt. Look, <laughs> his dad's got the same tattoo, so you'll have to tell Rick, hey, let me see that tattoo next time you see it. Gotcha. So, right. He, I had Rick not heard it that. to me the other day, so I, I kind of laughed about it. Um, <laughs> and so him, so there's three people that have it: Rick Giles, Ryder Giles, and Shane Carden. So there you go. You got a threesome right there. <laughs> and, 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 and then one of my first. <laughs> one of my best friends who uh, who went to East Carolina, Nate Cobble, who's in the construction business. He has one as well. He got okay, his. So we, <laughs> I'm trying so to remember. Gotta, I think he he actually had his before Shane, <laughs> but but nobody knew it because he wasn't an athlete and di- didn't have the opportunity to flex it on national TV. No doubt, that, that's hilarious. Yeah, that that's. I was kind of joking with Ryder the other day about it, and his, Rick was like, "Hey, I got one too." I'm like, "Yeah, right." And he showed it to me. I'm like, huh. "So, but you know, going out to Elon and watching those kids the other night, you know, they were good for us. The kids that played for us, obviously, they were good." But the guys continue to make strides, and that's what baseball is all about. The guys, like I said, you know, Brandon Golden has got the guys physical. I mean, Bryson Worrell is a physical specimen. I mean, I talked to his dad the other night at the game, um, and he's just so much physically bigger than he was. Um, And he's a tough kid. So, again, if if a kid comes through the dirt bags and I find a kid on the road that I know that's a tough kid, 
Um, you know, I'm going to tell Cliff and the staff about them. At the end of the day, doing this job, I'm just trying to help kids, man. No matter if they go to East Carolina, North Carolina, NC State, Barton College, it's all about trying to help people in this business. Right. And like, like you say, I mean, it's not like you're uh, twisting some kid's arm to go to East Carolina. East Carolina has a lot to offer in terms of its base, baseball program. No, no, absolutely. You know, I, I'll say this on the record as well. Um, you know, Billy Godwin did a great job at East Carolina taking nothing away from Billy, but the recruits Cliff and Jeff and Dietrichs are getting at East Carolina are really good. And, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of college baseball, Cliff Godwin's one of the best recruiters, but you're only as good as the people you surround your staff with. And, you know, again, Jeff Palumbo does not get enough credit for what he does. No doubt about it. I'm very fortunate to have Coach Palumbo, and um, whether um, no matter where it is, and I certainly expect to see uh, Coach Palumbo get a head job um, sometime down the road. Hopefully that's not too soon, though, um, <laughs> no because we, we certainly want to keep him in Greenville as long as we can. But, yeah, and, um, I think, and I think Cliff's going to do everything possible to keep that guy. I mean, you know, Cliff is a smart guy. He's a hardworking guy. He doesn't put up with a lot of stuff, but he knows that Jeff does so much for the program, and he's going to do everything he can possible. Cliff will get his shirt off his back to keep Jeff Palumbo. Absolutely. Like like you're saying, I, I know um, that in, in recent years with the success we've had, that um, obviously we're just quite simply not going to be able to pay what – some programs like Alabama or Mississippi State will pay, but, but um, we're doing everything we can um, from everything I gather to uh, sweeten the, the deal of both Cliff and his uh, his staff. Oh, absolutely. You know, and Cliff, and I think Cliff having his parents right down the road and being familiar with the area, I think there's a lot more to offer with Cliff, just East Carolina, even though he loves East Carolina. I think he just loved being in eastern North Carolina. I think that's a lot to do with it as well. I mean, you know, Cliff had plenty of opportunities, and he's going to have other opportunities. But, you know, I knew I knew Cliff when he was a player there, and Cliff's the same guy. I tell everybody, Cliff's the same guy I knew when he was a player in East Carolina. He hadn't changed a bit. No doubt. Uh, Trey, we really appreciate you staying as long as you did. Uh, you've been very yeah, generous Trey. and – and we, we'd love to have you back on here down the road uh, as we move throughout baseball season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, you know, starting tomorrow, I'm going to be on the road uh, probably four nights a week, four days a week, watching high school baseball. So anytime you guys want to get me on the show, I'll be riding the road to North Carolina and South Carolina watching the kids play. So I'll be in the car for a while, just listen to the radio if you guys ever want to get me on the show again. All right, keep it between the lines and uh... – don't drive too fast, and we definitely will appreciate you, Trey, very much. Enjoy the visit once again. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, so much for having me. That does it for Episode 285 of the Sports Objective Podcast. Thanks so much to our guests, Dom Amore of the Hartford Current, East Carolina Athletics Director John Gilbert, and Trey Daly, General Manager of the Dirtbags. Remember, later on tonight, we will have overtime as we will reflect on the Pirates' home finale with UConn. Also, Episode 3 of Extra Innings will be available on Sunday night as Coach O, Dr. Gary Overton, East Carolina color analyst alongside Corey Glore and the all-time winningest coach in Pirate Baseball history will join us to reflect on the week that was in East Carolina baseball. 
We appreciate you listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Remember, you can listen to our show pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Tune in radio, SoundCloud, Audio Boom, Blog Talk Radio, you name it, you can probably find us there. Remember to follow us on social media on Twitter at TheSportsOBJ, on Instagram at The Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, we appreciate you tuning into the show, and as always, go Pirates! You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.